Welcome to another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Coming to you live from the campus of West Virginia University, it's a syndicated show that sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. And here to make those two concepts make sense to us, one of the many people who uh, experts over there, Karen Freeberg. Hey, Karen. Thank you, Paul. I am really excited to host this special episode today for West Virginia University's IMC podcast. We have two special guests who will be coming in to talk about the new normal advocacy communications in the midst of a global pandemic. And I am joined today with two leaders in the field, Mike Fulton, who directs the Washington, D.C. Office of Asher Agency and teaches public affairs at the University at West Virginia University Reed College of Media in the IMC program. And Mike has worked for Capitol Hill for 10 years and focuses on advocacy communication strategy, relationship development, coalition building, and earned media placements and events. And Josh Horbosky is the head of federal affairs at the Premium Cigar Association and also is an adjunct professor at George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management. His experience in digital grassroots advocacy is quite prominent and he has founded the National Nonprofit Grassroots Professional Network, and his two past positions are brought in government relations to state capitals as well as federal government relations. Over the last couple of weeks, the global pandemic has had a measurable impact on healthcare, economic communications, and social distancing has flattened the curve across the board, and the coronavirus has basically spurred wholesale remote work environments across the board. And I'm really excited to have both Josh and Mike come on and be part of this episode. So welcome, Mike and Josh. I hope you all are both doing well today. Thank you, Karen. We are healthy and safe here at home. Thank you, Karen. We're definitely excited for the discussion on a a timely topic. And I think that, uh, you know, looking forward to hearing Mike's insights as well as we both figure out what the next steps are for our individual clients and our, our advocacy programs uh, as the you know pandemic uh, continues um, in several weeks in with, with the new measures and the new communication tools that we have to live in that reality. Absolutely, yes. It is such a timely topic. I mean, today's session is going to be focusing primarily on the virtual advocacy communications efforts while definitely incorporating key elements of IMC to help amplify our activities. And so I'd love to get started with this question, how has this event impacted each of your practices in advocacy communications? Well, Karen, this is Mike. The world will literally never be the same again, and business as usual is just not an option. Communicators and advocates must be patient and understanding throughout this evolving crisis, and we need to focus on making things better. Uh, We're all in this together. And from what I've seen the past several weeks, those in our profession are more collaborative than ever as we help create the new normal. Fortunately, there are existing technologies, vendors, case studies, and colleagues like Josh and many others to help us leverage our communications and advocacy campaigns at either the state or federal level. There's literally been no time for us to adjust at the Asher Agency in the midst of the crisis. Congress is ready to act. Governors and state health departments are moving as rapidly as they can. 
every single one of our clients at Asher Agency has been impacted in some way or another. And many are seeking relief or help at the federal level, whether they be hospitals that are in the midst of the pandemic, higher education institutions that want to protect their students, help move to an online learning environment, make sure their scholarships and financial aid are still in good place. Even teaching centers needed a little boost in the most recent stimulus bill on the ability to reauthorize the program that allows medical residents to be trained at community hospitals through graduate medical education. We've had federal contractors that are concerned about their ability to get the job done for the federal government while they're teleworking, and they needed the permission to be able to do that and also to be healthy and safe. So while I'm a firm believer in face-to-face -face communications and under normal conditions, I'm rarely in my office. This is a whole new environment working out of my home office, focusing on go-to meetings, Skype, Zoom sessions, and then also trying to help use technology and earn media, some of our more traditional public relations and marketing activities to try to move the needle for our clients. I would just add to that, I think instantly, one, when states started to shut down, when the different levels of government started to take the necessary action, our organization, the Premium Cigar Association, had to respond immediately. Our members were being told that their business can no longer operate under normal conditions. Some adjusted hours, some became pickup only, and, and you had others that shut down, will be shut down for the next several weeks as a result of that. So really, we had to develop a constituent services model to intake all of those member inquiries, whether it was a question about has a disaster relief declaration been declared? What is the status of the Senate bill? I think that we had to use our traditional digital tools that have always been around, but may have been on the back burner for some of us that are traditional lobbyists that go, are meeting with eight to 10 staffers every day, getting our issues in, in front of them. It's really shifted into a two-way communication role where you have two audiences. You have to communicate to the elected officials, but your membership is an equal component of that and maybe an even more important one, getting the feedback what's necessary. I'm not a premium cigar retailer, but represent 3,500 premium cigar retail stores around the country. Getting from them what would be the best methods for relief was step one then quickly advocating. And as Mike can attest, these things were massive 700-page bills that affected the economy, affected the healthcare system. There were provisions in there that all of the organizations that we work with were interested in. So collecting those thoughts, processing them in a way that's digestible, that wasn't tone deaf. One of the things that we wanted to make sure as an organization that we had clear principles, we had clear objectives of what relief would look like and got that in front of our staff and our key contacts, but did it in a way where we weren't supporting or opposing bills, we weren't running grassroots campaigns in the midst of this, 
from that standpoint. The other point would be that we had to curate a lot of the information, stuff from the, the media, stuff from Congress. There is an information overload. Every report, if you watch the nightly news, is an angle about the epidemic. Processing that for your membership to what is relevant to them. In those 700-page bills, only 15 pages of that might be relevant to our, our members. It's my job to find that information and highlight that across all of the different mediums. The other thing that a grassroots professional has to do is really explain the civic background of what's going on. And it's complex. Don't get me wrong. Right now, anybody that's reading the news has to dust off their high school civics book to see, is this a federal, state, local? You're even seeing international information come out there. So who is it best for them to contact? Small Business Administration is an outlet that we routinely work with, but there's connections where certain things that states and counties have to do in order to open up those funds for our members. So being able to explain as education resource to our membership is another way that the practice has really changed. Wow. Yeah. And as both of you have said, this situation and this crisis has changed your work tremendously. So I wanted to actually, Josh, reach out to you first with this question, what advocacy communication strategies are no longer possible? And then the second part of this question is how have you adapted these communication challenges? How have you addressed this full forth in your advocacy communication efforts? I think that a couple things have changed immediately in the different toolbox that we use. It shrunk a little bit. We can't use the full arsenal, so to speak, on these advocacy campaigns like we could even a month ago. One of the things that we had was a public engagement series where we would have congressional staffers, members of Congress come and learn about a topic related to the premium cigar industry, more of that educational piece. This month being Women's History Month, we had a panel of a female manufacturer and a female retailer that were providing a presentation. We had 150 RSVPs. Folks were coming to our office for this event. There was a lot of enthusiasm and buildup. We've had to shift that public engagement series from being in-person to being digital. So next Thursday, it's going to be a go-to webinar that will then be broadcast on or reposted on YouTube and Facebook and our social media channels. So I think it's changed a lot of the face-to-face -face communications are no longer possible. Mike and I can no longer go to Capitol Hill and meet with staffers about these the issues that we're advocating for. But you can schedule those conference calls and provide routine updates. Everybody's in the same boat, so to speak. And, and I think Mike's comments were really impactful, that learning from peers and seeing what they're doing, the staffers understand what's going on as well, and they're adapting. So they're changing their advocacy methods that they intake the communications, just like we are doing it on the front end and what we send to legislators and regulators on things. So face-to-face -face is definitely impacted. Political action committee side of things, those are largely event-driven and, uh, and fundraisers. The campaigning methods have really been impacted by this. And I think that's been an area where we've had to shift and pivot. And it's more of a delay in that type of tactic. 
and something like that will be eventually shifted towards later in the year. So being adaptive with your your own calendar, knowing that you have 12 months of advocacy, and we've done previous webinars on maximizing your efforts for all 12 months in your advocacy strategies, that calendar now is definitely shifted. But I can say one thing's for certain, that we're in a period of time, it's definitely a challenging period of time, but it's also testing the limits of digital communication. And we're learning things, forced learning, by having to call an audible and adapt to the conditions that we're currently in. But advocacy and the advocacy community will be better after this all passes, and we'll be able to really assess, does digital way up to in-person. Um, I'm a firm believer, just like Mike, best methods are in-person, but we're being forced now to try some new things. And I can tell you from my own perspective, I'm going to be adding a few tool sets in the long term to that advocacy toolbox as a result of the past few weeks. Awesome. What do you think? What's your take, Mike? Well, I think a lot of this is how many assets did you have built up ahead of this crisis. So if you are a communicator or an advocate, what relationships do you have on Capitol Hill, in state capitals, at federal agencies, in the business community, the media? Thank goodness that I'm a very big fan of LinkedIn and have built up a great network there, and it has become very, very helpful, more helpful than ever. Our agency has multiple U.S. offices, so we are used to working remotely and apart, and we have shared drives. We use Google Docs to collaborate. We're used to conference calls. We have a regular weekly team meeting where we keep up with what's going on in different parts of the country and with different clients and with coworkers who are not in the same office but still working on the same accounts. Our agency had a lot of great assets. Personally, I've been doing this for several decades, so I have a lot of relationships. And I think I'm actually getting a lot of inquiries right now because people know certain offices that I know, and they're saying, can you help us get a meeting in there? Can you help us get a grant in front of a group and try to build support for it, a bill, a regulation? So. I think it's the assets that you've built up that's a big factor. To the positive side, there's no commuting, no fashion pressure that I know of other than my wife here at home. And so I have more time to focus, write, be strategic, and experiment with many of these new communications techniques. Wonderful. We're going to be taking a break, but after we get back, we will focus on strategies and tactics that might work for our listeners in the new normal of virtual advocacy communications. West Virginia University has the only online data marketing communications program of its kind in the country. They focus on strategic thinking, critical problem solving, and informed decision making. The Data Marketing Communications Program prepares you for your career by learning the innovative tactics from award-winning faculty like those today. Learn more at dmc.wvu.edu for the Data Marketing Communications Program at West Virginia University. We are back with Josh and Mike, and this session is going to be talking about 
again, the strategies and tactics that our listeners can benefit from two leading experts on the new normal of this virtual advocacy communications. Mike, I would actually like you to talk a little bit about some of these examples of some of these technologies and strategies and tactics that are part of the new normal. Well, first, Karen, I'd like to say people really need to still become engaged in their government. Right now, people are have a very high level of interest in understanding what's going on with the pandemic, with the recovery and relief efforts, what resources are available at the local, state, and federal level, and government needs to have feedback from citizens and from organizations about what they need to recover from this scenario. And so I would tell people, do not let your inability to go to the congressman's district office or go see the congressman speak at an event and bring something to their attention. You can start with the basics, phone calls, emails, tweets directed at lawmakers at all levels still remain effective lines of communication. And these messages help the lawmakers and their staffs learn about our priorities and take into account those things for policy making that's forthcoming. Phone calls can be directed at their district offices. The district offices, you might get somebody that you know locally, somebody that understands your situation a little bit better in the district office or the state office for the U.S. Senator. So I always encourage people to think locally. In addition, you can call their capital offices. They have email forms on their websites. In some cases, they even list on their websites which staff people handle which issues, which can help you go to the right person. Always it's important to try to get things to the right person and ask for follow-up. The great thing about technology is with an email, you can attach a letter, a petition, an infographic, photos, a fact sheet, and also to your social media posts. You don't want to embarrass them publicly when you're tweeting. You want to ask calmly and efficiently. And, you know, most offices are very interested in what their constituents need and try to do their best to be responsive, certainly because we're in election mode right now. So they're even more responsive. But technologies such as Zoom, Skype, Google Hangout allow you to have meetings with grassroots and membership folks that are in your associations, your clients, to help train them. Then the congressional offices are also very receptive. Some of them, they have conference lines just like businesses do. And the other day I did a phone call with two Senate aides. They were both at their homes in different locations. I was at my home. We connected by a conference line that they gave me. and We were able to conduct our business. After the meeting, I sent them an email with more details and attachments outlining the scope and answering some of their questions. It was fantastic. The other thing is a lot of organizations in Washington heavily believe in what's called the fly-in. And, you know, I've even written columns on, and, and Josh and I have written columns on best practices of getting the most out of your congressional fly-in. Here are the do's and don'ts of when you walk around all day on Capitol Hill to a group of meetings to see your legislators about an issue. Well, that's not possible. But luckily, 
technology has allowed us to schedule telemeetings so you can use video tools such as Countable, Storyvine to record advocacy messages and share it with lawmakers. There are lots of tremendous vendors out there that Josh and I work with who have the ability to help you get your message to members of Congress wherever they are and to keep that going. Facebook Live is a fantastic tool. For one healthcare client, we set up two Facebook Live sessions, one last Sunday, one was last night. It was with a physician answering community questions about coronavirus and its impact, and we had 350 people that joined the conversation. It was very, very successful and very valuable for the people who participated. Josh, add a few, and then I have a few more to add when you're finished. I think uh, adapting the communications in the work environment, to some extent, it's helped certain industries become the, the focal point of what's gone. If you're in hospitality, gaming, restaurants, airlines, retail, hotels, the communications channels with the White House, with the administration, the regulators, as well as Congress, is fairly accessible even in this digital format. Again, I mentioned the Small Business Administration. They are doing state-specific webinars. There's conference calls with even their director for stakeholders where you can provide input. So if you're in an organization where employees and their livelihoods and jobs are at stake, you can get in front of these people a lot easier. That comes with the trade-off of you have to be showcase some type of restraint with this. Again, it is a balance of the healthcare crisis as well as the economic crisis. So one of the things that we wanted to ensure as an organization and any folks that I advise is that we don't want to be tone deaf on what is going on. We want to explain the severity of the situation, explain the communication portals, where the information is. I mentioned we curated a central hub on our website where you can find everything. We're also sending out daily email blasts. I think we are not only shifting the strategy and shifting our communications a little bit, we're also upping the ante with tried and true principles that we've done in the past but the severity of having to do them and the necessity for it is greater, like audience segmentation. I mentioned that two-track, but we have manufacturers and consumers and folks that the employees of our shop owners, we have to really drill down what affects them, what information are they most interested in. So we've crowdsourced some of that. I'm at the federal level. I have two consultants that work with me. I'm the only in-house person to cover all of our federal legislative and regulatory activities. So we crowdsourced it to our membership and said, hey, if your hours are being impacted or you've had to comply with something, send a note. This will automatically get posted to a website. So you can find a central hub of information. I've also really 
kind of being an adjunct professor, Mike and I know the office hour method. And that's something that I've really set up every Friday. Used to do it in person with staffers at um, my office, which is a smoking lounge on the first floor. I could enjoy a cigar with folks and talk about the product firsthand with that sensory experience. Now I'm not able to do that, but I still stake two hours on Fridays to answer those member inquiries and we'll schedule calls with key stakeholders. Another thing in talking on the economic side of things, we need to know what the pain points are for our membership, what is most effective and useful for them when dealing with government. We're surveying our members, we're asking for their input. Again, Leveraging their expertise with our expertise in, in government is path to success in getting your issues in front of the right people at the right time quickly and efficiently. Karen, some other tactics that we've had some good luck with are utilizing coalitions. If you don't have an association like Josh represents and you have like hospital system, you leverage coalitions of like-minded hospitals or rural health providers that can join together as a group and work together as long as they are very keen on sticking to the agreed-upon messages and call to action and have great discipline in making sure the materials that they share are all co-branded and they're not singing another hymn out of the book. <laughs> the other thing is there are congressional caucuses that are set up in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate where members of Congress create the Career and Technical Education Caucus, the Pediatric Cancer Caucus, the Telehealth Caucus, so that if you find a caucus that already exists of members of Congress they're formed by bipartisan members of Congress. They already have members. They usually have regular meetings. They sometimes have a website. It gives you a ready-made landing page to promote and offices to work with on your particular issue. Another coalition that I work with supports enactment of a palliative care training, education, and research bill. And they scheduled something called a thunderclap. And so everyone in the coalition, there are about 50 healthcare organizations and providers that are members of this coalition, all emailed their members of Congress and the committee chairs and the ranking members of the relevant committees that have jurisdiction over the bill on the same day. It was very, very powerful and very coordinated, and the um, number of impressions and the number of likes and retweets of the social media push was unbelievable, but more than that, members of Congress were prompted to take another look at that bill, and many of them co-sponsored, which helped advance it in Congress. Also, congressional Twitter handles, members of Congress often have sometimes 10, 20, 30,000 followers. You get a member of Congress to retweet your message of appreciation to them 
or about the impact in their congressional district of an issue, that gets you a lot of attention online. The use of hashtags, which is more a traditional tactic, but still very helpful with social media, allows you to measure things and keep everybody on the same page. One website that's cropped up out of the pandemic is covidactnow.org, and it has an interactive map of the nation, and you can click on the states and see the number of people that have been tested, the number of people that have been deemed to have the uh, virus, and then you can also look at what the projection will be through an algorithm of if we stay in place, shelter in place for a certain period of time, if we stop doing that, what happens to hospital beds? What happens to ventilators? What's going to be the the cost to our economy potentially if we don't take precaution? Very effective, getting a lot of attention right now. I also participated in a webinar this week and learned that the National Association of Community Health Centers had their fly-in, their huge fly-in with all the community health centers in the country was canceled or postponed because of the virus and Capitol Hill having to shut its offices down to only essential visitors. So they held a day of unity call-in slash email campaign promoting its call to action, much like the thunderclap that this other coalition did. We've also seen GoFundMe used as a tool to raise money for causes related to the pandemic, to help promote issues. Some other organizations have set up toll-free hotlines that you can call to gather information, or they've posted online forms that allow them to get feedback from their constituencies or really from the nation, and then they are able to see and assess what their organization's issue the interest that it might have and help build, you know, to have more followers to get it achieved. We've even seen during this pandemic virtual happy hours set up just so people working in different offices and from their homes can gather and have a virtual happy hour either to celebrate a success or just to stay in touch while we're all cooped up. We've been doing that as well, Mike. They're called virtual herfs in the, uh, the cigar world. And nightly, a lot of our bloggers and cigar press, it's been good because I have the ability and the access to provide information on what's going on in the ground from the legislative side. So leveraging our own media outlets, our niche media and trade press is a lot easier because they want that information they've had to adjust their programming and their shows based on this. So they want, want to know what's going on in the ground. Mike, you were mentioned some specific resources, the webinar on the uh, community health centers, the webinar, another webinar, the National Digital Roundtable put together. That's a recording that I think both of us have shared that in our social media with um, Matthew Wright and Joe Franco. They put that together on virtual advocacy. I know Fiscal Note has put together a web page that talks through some of the more policy-oriented side of things. And then, of course, I put together a piece, or last week, 
um, for campaigns and elections on this topic in general and gave some concrete examples there. So there are a few other resources where people can look to find some additional information as they run through their own advocacy campaigns and adjust their own strategies. Wow, Mike and Josh, like this, I'm just writing fruitlessly all of this program just with the amount of resources and tips and strategies you both have shared with us. And I'm sure that our audience here at WVU today is very appreciative. And so we're near the end of time. It's been a truly valuable session, but I'd like to end with two points. One, any final comments or things you want our audience members to keep in mind when it comes to virtual advocacy communications? And how can we, like if listeners want to reach out to you both, how, what's the best way to get in contact with you? So I will start with you, Mike. Well, I think what you want to do is tap some of the resources that we've mentioned on today's conversation. And you're welcome to reach out to me. I'm at MikeF at AsherAgency.com. My Twitter handle is HillRat1156. And I welcome any communications with my colleagues in this field. Josh and I always advocate that when you are involved in government relations, you must also be an educator and you must also help the profession. And we're all in on that score. Mike, I think you've done a really good job in some of the pieces that we've put together in the past. I think uh, I was doing the, the count after I posted the article on the coronavirus and how advocacy shifting. We're nearing the 100 article point on different tools and tactics. I would say going back through that list of pieces that we've produced. I've been involved with campaigns and elections for three years now and uh, have been writing quite a bit on digital tactics even before COVID-19 and really dusting off those articles. I think it's a good resource. One of the other things, a good friend, Matthew Zablett from Beekeeper Group, David Lusk from Key Advocacy, they put together a list of I want to say 25 tactical elements that you can do during this time and and really address the core topic that we've been discussing on this podcast. We posted that on the Grassroots Professional Network social media channels. I would say the best way to get a hold of me is either by email, jmhabursky at gmail.com or on LinkedIn. Mike and I both will continuously post things on LinkedIn, whether it's articles or webinars or podcasts of our own, but also other folks in the industry. I would, if you work in the association space and you're looking for uh, uh, something that you can do, quick turnaround, premiumcigars.org, our website, has that central hub that I've been discussing, and you'll see all the different elements come together of what I discussed in my comments. Wonderful, Mike and Josh. Thank you both so much. I'm sure our listeners will be greatly appreciative of all the great insights and resources you've shared during this time. I can't thank you both enough for you taking the time to share this with our audience. And so I would, again, make sure to all of the listeners out there, follow Mike and Josh on their designated platforms, check out the resources that they shared, and I hope everyone stays safe out there. Thank you again. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University. 
a bi-weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice. Only on the Funnel Radio Network. For at-work listeners like you.